Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Twin Cities by Night and our third story arc, Dread. Dread is set in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul in the hot and humid summer of 2011. Join us again and continue to follow the journey of Katow, played by Quinn, and William, played by Slavic, as they continue to traverse the dark society held within the Twin Cities. They will be joined by three new kindred, Warren, a Tremere, played by Adam, Valentine, a Nosferatu, played by Alex, and Lenny, a Nosferatu, played by Andrew. The quarter will find themselves joined together by a sense of dread. If you would like to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So when we left off, Warren, you were in this alleyway in the northeastern side of Minneapolis. You had just reacted to someone, a young, younger teenage boy, African-American, discovering you kneeling over a body of a victim of yours who you frenzied on. And in reaction, you had turned around and you had tackled this, this teen who had seen you and you had his head had inadvertently hit the ground and then you had broken his neck and you had we left off you had walked to the other end of the alley not the one that's facing the street but the one that was kind of facing that little wall that had like another pathway going behind it two things one obviously what are you going to do two what is going on through your mind at the moment right now in warren's head at the moment he's just looking at the body and thinking fuck again what do you mean by uh, is this let, let's delve into the again statement because i think that opens a whole bunch of doors there when you say again is this something that's happened before with warren in his past oh yeah absolutely every time cynthia pushes him too far he has to find a way to vent what why this way like what what has led warren to vent this way was led it to be where to where he puts himself in these situations to where the only way he can get release is from taking life is it the beast is it like the the years of abuse that he had at the hands of cynthia or or i'd say it's the cycle of abuse filtered through the beast definitely and does he i mean obviously you're right now you're, you're i believe your humanity currently right now is at a four right after losing the dot after taking the life of the second team yes so is this something that now and maybe we can we can explore this in future stories but is this something now that is like does it still have the same release it had before seeing that his humanity is dropping so much and that like you know what I mean, and that it may lose the 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 lose its appeal, or is it something that he still feels drawn to do whenever he feels that abuse? Is it even more tempting now because he doesn't feel as guilty about it as he used to? Or oh, it's definitely more tempting. It's very cathartic for him to just release all that pressure onto someone else. Now, after this incident that happened, does he feel like he's gotten rid of that 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 anger that's inside of him, or is it still lingering? He has gotten rid of some of the anger, but given the drop in humanity, he's probably also taking a fair bit of pleasure in it as well. And this all sim- did it did, did all this simply stem from the fact that she 
made that comment before he went to go see Melissa? Was it the fact that she somehow interjected herself into like a brief moment of like escape that he was looking forward to? Yep. He had a moment of happiness and she had to taint it. Interesting. Just like she's tainted everything else in his existence since he met her. And that's really a weird conundrum because it's like you can't escape it because you're bound to like the same cause, like the family stronger than perhaps she is. You know, you're you're uh, two steps blood bound right now to the, the, the same organization, to the to the clan that she's part of. So in a way, it's like completely bound. Actually, I have the bound to the council flaw. Oh, you have it completely bound. So three steps yep. bound. Excuse me. I thought it was two steps. Yeah. Well, especially now, because, you know, you can't I don't want to say you can't, you know, that's that's very limiting but i'm just saying in a way taking these lives is e- an easier release than perhaps snapping at her or trying to do something against her you know because in a way you st- you're you're that very loyalty to the clan and to the family and to its goals and motivations is paramount in your life and so in a fucked up way taking these lives of these people is is easier than than simply telling someone like cynthia to go fuck off you know for lack of a better term you know oh yeah absolutely Okay, that's an interesting insight because I think that as a storyteller, obviously it, it it Warren, while he's an introvert and he's not so much an outrovert, there's a lot going on inside of him, you know, and it's like sometimes I feel we need to crack that egg open, open up the curtain a little bit and show, you know what I mean, what the motivations are, what's going behind that head of his because, you know, he doesn't verbally really express his frustrations at all, which is also really chilling to think about too, that this man who's capable of like doing what he just did can't even really hold a conversation with a group of people in the social, you know what I mean, setting that, that to, you know, articulate his thoughts because he's so emotionally scarred, you know, from from the torture and, 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 and that he has dealt with at the hands of his sire so so what is he doing right now that he you know kind of walked to the end of the the like i almost see like he walked he walked to the end of the alley just to kind of like collect his you know what i mean like collect his thoughts and turn around and seize like these two bodies you know one is right now against the green dumpster that was your first victim and the second one that you turn around tackled is kind of like five feet away from that body but closer to you at the edge of the alley still on the far side from the street so no one like driving is going to see this you know what i mean because the dumpster is still kind of hiding the line of sight but you're staring down and you see still see like the the when you look down at this last victim of yours you know you're looking you see him on this blacktop and you see like his hand is kind of like on top of like a, a little piece of a broken green beer bottle and you follow the hand up to his arm and you look you still see those eyes that are open staring you know on the other end of the alley wall still kind of have that concussed look but you see like the the whites of the the eyes are bloodshot now like the capillaries broke when you snapped his neck and you just kind of see it staring off there and you're looking down at it but you don't feel that sense of remorse you just kind of like i said you feel that it had to be done to protect this release that you just had so what are you going to do right now? When he gets to the end of the alley, Warren is going to look left and look right to see uh, if anyone else is on the street. You're at the opposite end. So, like, the, there's the end with the street. And I don't know if you remember what we said on the other end of the alley. There's like this little, I, I want to say, another alley that's going perpendicular to it, like where trash trucks or delivery <laughs> trucks will drive behind, you know? Okay. And you, you, you're out there and you look on both ends and you don't see, you don't see anything. What you see is just like a cross is this wall that's about 10 feet tall and then like a fence where like there's yards, you know what I mean? That are little like backyards that are kind of like facing that way. And you look down the one end of the alley and you just see like a couple dumpsters and 
you see like some trash and then you see like the street, the, the street that will go perpendicular, like the end of it. And then you look on the right side and you see the same thing. You look down, you see a couple dumpsters or a couple trash cans and you see another street at the end. So right now at the end of the alley, there's absolutely no, no one there at the moment. Okay. Warren will walk back, grab both of the bodies, toss them into the dumpster, close the dumpster, maybe rearrange it a little bit so that they're not on top, you know, move some of the other trash on top of them to help conceal them. Then he will pull out his cell phone and he will dial Jenna. Hello, Warren. I'm going to need some assistance cleaning up a small mess. You hear a pause for a second. You hear like the gentle parting of her lips, like she's thinking about what she wants to say. Is it like before, Warren? Yes. And you hear this like forced exhale from her, knowing that she doesn't breathe. Where are you at right now, Warren? I'll give her the address or the area. Stay where you're at right now. Please grab a package of baby wipes from my room as well as a change of clothing. Yes. Thank you. And then you hear the click of the phone. As you're standing there in the alleyway. And I'll obfuscate after I get off the phone. Yeah, definitely. You're standing by the dumpster in the alleyway about like 20 minutes later, you see the Jeep come up to the other end of the alleyway that's like facing the street. And you see it stop. And you see this Jeep Grand Cherokee. Like I said before, it's kind of like an olive color. And you see her get out of it. But you can tell she tactfully parked there to make it to where people walking by, you know, can't quite see. And she is wearing, like right now, you see she has kind of like these, these little platforms, like sandals that are kind of on. And she has these tight pair, uh, a tight pair of blue jeans. And you could see just how athletic that she was in her mortal life when she wears these. They just kind of like really fit the contours of her legs really nicely and really accentuate them. And you see she has like a, a tank top. It's like a spaghetti string tank top that's like a yellow one. And you see her skin, the yellow of this tank top really not only brings out the the kind of like the Nordic blonde of her her hair that goes down in the middle of her neck, but you can see also that like it really accentuates the paleness of her skin, especially right now. And the fact that like the moon is kind of like cracking through these clouds, you know, that have been in the skies for like the last week, like these rain clouds that just are like ready to burst that, that have caused like this humidity that's been in the twin cities. And you see her stop for a second and you see her kind of like scanning the, the area of where the alley is at. And will you currently, what, how many thought you have like, one dot and obfuscate, right? Two. Oh, two dots and obfuscate. And you see her come walking, and she's you can tell she's like kind of walking the alley like she's looking for you, but she doesn't quite see you. And she's just kind of like slowly making her way, you know, down past the dumpster. But it's not like in a, a sense of fear. It's almost like her body language is speaking the confidence that, that creatures who do business and traverse in the shadows can only have. So you see her walking in this alleyway, not hesitant not scared but she's walking and looking for you but you can tell like she's looked over like where you're at she hasn't seen you yet you can tell she's just patiently waiting for you to show yourself after she you know looks around for a moment warren will reveal himself thank you for coming 
And you can see for a second when she looks at you, she just, the look on her face, like the facade of calmness just broke just for a split second because right now, like, like on your face, like you're pretty much the whole bottom of your face is just like dried blood at the moment because in this 20 minutes, this blood has, you know, started drying. It's all in your neck and on the front of this, like, like uh, sky blue turtleneck that you had and like on this suit jacket, you know, that you kind of had over it. And she's just looking at you for a second and she's like, where are the bodies worn? They're in the dumpster. And you see she walks towards the dumpster and you see her like open up the, the you hear that, you know, the plastic squeaking sound when you open up half of one of those dumpsters and you see her open it up and she like looks in there and you see she just kind of drops and you hear that echo sound like those plastic tops make when they drop. And when she drops it, you can like feel the whiff of like that smell of like rancid, you know, like garbage that 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 like collects and never seems to escape the bottom of these dumpsters. But on top of that, you sent you smell the coppery smell of like blood that is there. And she looks at you for a second and she's like, you fucked up, Warren. You really fucked up. You know that, right? I'm well aware. And yet you keep doing this. And I keep having to clean up your mess, Warren. I certainly wasn't going to risk discovery. I will fix this like I fixed every other time. And the only reason that I'm fixing it this time, instead of letting you pay for your mistakes again, is because this will help me out. Right now, you need to get in my Jeep. And we need to get you cleaned up. And we're going to take care of this. But before that, take these bodies out and leave them out where they were when you did that. And you see her like step back for a second. She like crosses her arms like in a power stance. Like she's looking at you, like waiting for you, like in a position of authority to do what she told you to do. Warren will hesitate for a moment, but then he'll go back to the dumpster and pull the bodies out and arrange them exactly as they were or as close to it as he can get them. And then you see her like she walks next to you when you're done and she looks down at them. Are there any signs that one of our kind did this? on them um yes and he'll point to the one whose throat is ripped out and whose face has been gnawed on while warren was in frenzy you see for a second she walks back to her jeep opens the like the rear passenger door you see her reaching down like at the foot oh it looks like she's like opening a bag and you see her turn around comes walking back and she hands you this like this hatchet she's like get rid of the signs and when you're done I'll be waiting for you in there. And she points to the Jeep Grand Cherokee and she goes and you see her walking back and she goes into the driver's side and sits down as you're standing there left with this like this ha- this cleaver that's like sitting in your hand. Warren will take a deep breath, exhale, look at the body, and then almost mechanically just start hacking into it over and over and over until any sign that it was done by a kindred has been completely obliterated definitely overkill what's going on in his head while he's doing that like like I, obviously i mean i know what's going on like why he's doing it but like what kind of emotions is this bringing out in him especially the reaction that jenna has given to the situation he's repeatedly reprimanding himself in his own thoughts this is unacceptable this is unacceptable this is unacceptable with every swing of the hatchet so in a way it's like a penance that he's paying for what he did yes so eventually you find yourself as you're staring down and you're looking at something that at this moment's unrecognizable. I mean, you've gone far, but you've never gone this far. And you feel like the wetness, the splatter from like that has like gone back onto your face, you know, from the little 
vitae that was left in this body, you know, and you look at this hatchet and you see that this hatchet now is like, you know, it's got some gore on there. And, 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 and again, this is a situation that you haven't found yourself and you found yourself, I mean, you've taken lives and obviously, but this is something you did in a rational mind, you know, and, and you're kind of left there alone right now. And you hear that the, when you're after standing for like 10 seconds, you hear the Jeep Grand Cherokee start, you hear the engine come to life. And you know that that's probably a sign that Jenna's giving you to come back to the Jeep now that you're done. Still carrying the hatchet, Warren will walk to the Jeep and he'll climb into the back seat and start wiping himself down with the baby wipes and change his clothing into something a little less uh, sticky. Yeah, definitely. Because she takes off as soon as you're done, she peels off. And she kind of, you see her driving down some streets and she kind of pulls into like a quiet street into like a, uh, like kind of like a, like a parking lot that doesn't have a light on there that the business is currently not open. It's like this abandoned, like, um, abandoned office kind of like a strip mall type, you know, establishment. There's currently no street lamp on. And as you're getting dressed and clean yourself up, you also find there's like a gallon of water there with like a towel for you to like, you know, get a lot of that dry blood off because frankly baby wipes aren't going to do what they need to do in this instant and she's just kind of steps out while you're cleaning yourself up in privacy you know what i mean getting dressed on the side of the car eventually you're done you you know well enough too to like clean up in the back when you're done and once you get dressed you know she left you like a pair of these you know like these brown slacks that you wear with like this button up kind of like dress shirt and some brown loafers uh that she believe it or not, actually did not take from the Chantry, but that she has known throughout the years of instances like this happening that she keeps in her haven. Like she knows now to keep things like this between you two and rather not involve Cynthia to keep emergency stash of your belongings in her haven, just in case, if that makes sense. So it doesn't have to attract attention of her going back to the Chantry and picking that up. She comes around when she sees you're done, like when you, when you close the door, you know, and you've probably taken this bag and put it in like the back, you know, the backpack, you know, the trunk of her Jeep Grand Cherokee. And she comes to the passenger side where you're standing and she stands about three feet from you. And she looks at you and she's like, I'm going to clean this up. We're not done yet. Your impulse and your lack of ability to control your instincts and to control your anger has open opportunity for us and for our clan. Before I can explain, and trust me, you are not done paying back what I have done for you. I need you to drive. I need you to drive my vehicle. I will tell you when to stop. Do you understand? I do. Now get in there and drive. And she kind of like tosses her keys at you and they kind of like hit your chest and kind of are able to catch them with your hand. And when you get into the, the driver's side of her Jeep, you kind of expect her to go into the passenger side, but instead she goes into the back where you came from changing. And you get on the road and you're driving and you don't really you're really kind of driving aimlessly to be honest right you don't know where she wants you to drive she just told you to drive she'll tell you to stop she'll tell you where to go and as you're driving you hear like at first you hear a little rustling but then you hear that distinct like sound of a zipper going down like the jean zipper will make and you kind of look in the back and you see that she had taken off her spaghetti top her spaghetti string top of her shirt that she was wearing 
her tank top and she has like this 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 bra on that like has like it's kind of lacy and it has like this little like pink bow in like the middle of it where it snaps up front rather than in the back and you can see like again her athletic toned body you see that she has like abdominals that are defined at that moment she's not super voluptuous but she has the body of like almost like a gymnast or someone who who in their life was very athletic before they were embraced and you see when you look in the back you see her trying to like snug out of her jeans you can't see really the full of it but you can just kind of see the movement because right now the only light that's illuminating anything is coming through the street lights into the jeep so you kind of like you're not seeing everything clear you're just kind of seeing like the lights come through and you catch like the that's how you saw the bra and you're seeing her like kind of squeezing out of her jeans and eventually you kind of hear like where like one leg comes off and the other comes off and you as you're driving you hear go turn right right up here and there's a street and you know right now you're kind of in the hood right now you know mm -hmm. and as you're driving on as you turn right there's a moment of like a minute where you're driving and then you see on the side you kind of see like this this young man african-american man looks like he may be in his early 20s walking he's you know dressed and 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 kind of like the 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 criminal element how they dress in the city you know they he has like blue jeans or blue jean shorts are somewhat sagging and he has like these these athletic shoes and you see that he's wearing like a polo shirt that looks like it may be like a tommy hilfiger polo shirt and he has like this shaved head but you as you get closer you kind of see that the polo shirt isn't as isn't as clean as you thought it was and and the, sh the shorts are dirty and you kind of realize that this guy's probably someone who's homeless or borderline homeless at the moment and you hear her go when you come up to him stop the vehicle don't turn off the engine and when when she says that after as soon as she, she says that you hear like the snap of that little snap of her bra and you hear like something else sliding off of her and as you pull stop the vehicle next to this guy you hear the pastor back door open and you're kind of like what the f you know what i mean this is i would assume offsetting to you i'll ask you what you know before or after i continue with the scene and you hear the no, door open. i don't i don't think this will bother warren at all actually he it, it to him this probably feels like either a kidnapping or some other sketchy activity that he's probably participated in at some point or another that's a good point. Would you say that the reason why it doesn't make him feel, I don't know, I don't want to use the term awkward, but like doesn't make him feel odd or something is because like, you know, she is doing something right now that has a purpose and that purpose is tied to the clan and you are tied to the clan in a kind of, you know what I mean, circle life way where it's like, this is probably something that she is deemed has to be done. So you support it. Oh, of course. Plus, Warren's job has been to handle a lot of the dirty work. So, I mean, he's upset that he made a mess. He's not necessarily upset that he killed someone. So he's doing the soldier thing now. He's not asking questions. He's just following orders. Yep. You hear the pastor back door open and you have the you see the overhead light, you know, come on in the back there and you hear her kind of like the, 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 the weight of the, the cushions kind of shift a little bit and you see her get out and you're like, looking through the back you have a clear kind of like where you can see her and you can see the small of her back and 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 her her the top part of her buttocks as she's standing there you can't quite make out her full body and you hear from her go hello and you see like this figure stop on the street and you're looking and you look and you see he's about like 12 feet away and he turns and he looks you see him for a second that he's just like kind of taken aback and you see slowly 
he comes walking towards her and as soon as he gets to the front you see her get back into the vehicle and you see this figure come and sit in the vehicle and as soon as he comes and sit in, sits in the vehicle she like reaches over him and closes the door and you can smell his smell when he comes through you can smell like this odor the the smell of bo and you could smell like the alcohol coming off of him and as you look as close to this guy you realize that this guy definitely is most likely homeless and that these clothes that he wore were probably new at one time but that through like you know nights of sleeping on the streets and sweating through him and the grime uh that that they've kind of became they're just reek of desperation that they represent desperation and she goes drive and you hear like that her voice just kind of cuts the silence so you start driving again and she mm-hmm. goes and as you start driving you're you're kind of looking out at the street and you look through the rearview mirror at once and you see her on her knees in front of him and you see her you hear the sound of a zipper come down and you kind of hear her tugging like his shorts down and you look back at the street and as you're looking at the street you start <laughs> seeing thunder between these clouds that have been surrounding the city for the last week, like lightning is starting to come through, excuse me. And you realize that like rain may be coming upon the town finally after like this humid cloud that has been surrounding it. And as you like looking at that and you're looking at the brief flashes of lightning that are going through there, you look in your rear view mirror and you see the, the back end of Jenna as she's straddled on top of this homeless guy. You know, he still has like his shirt on and everything like that, but you see like his shorts are down around his knees and you see like, her moving like spastically on top of him but at this moment when you're looking in the rearview mirror at her and you look back at the clouds you start feeling the humidity even more and there comes a moment where like you're gripping the steering wheel and you like close your eyes and you open them and this like you start feeling like this nauseous feeling that that like seems to like come from like within like your stomach almost like like something that you haven't felt like since you've been a, a kindred it's almost something that reminds you of being mortal and you're like kind of like squ- squeezing your eyes shut and you're kind of open and focusing on the road and as soon as you focus on the road you realize that raindrops are hitting the hood like big raindrops fat raindrops are starting to hit the hood of this vehicle and you see like the steam coming off of it and you see like this rain is starting to come down and you're like you're kind of being feeling overwhelmed like like you're having sensory overload and for a second you look at back in the rearview mirror and you see her just like constantly doing what she's doing and you and you start smelling like the hobo's smell and you feel like the 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 hair that is on your forearms is starting to rise a little bit and you feel the second like you're not going to be able to drive like you start feeling dizzy and you're like trying to like close your eyes and you open them again you focus and this rain is starting to like barrage down it seems like like just like seems like time is skipping almost it goes from where like you're like oh it's about to rain to where fat drops and then like it's just pouring and you don't you're not connecting these three stages of the rain that happened and you're starting to feel like you're not going to be able to drive you feel intoxicated in a way and at one last desperate act you look in the rearview mirror almost like in a panic hoping that this is done and you see like her thrusting wildly and she's grabbing the, the side of this guy's head and then she stops and at that moment when she stops and you see this hear this grunt coming from the guy you realize that that dizziness and that sickness that you felt coming up where you almost felt like you're going to vomit has gone away and you hear coming from her voice coldly this is what you're going to say and hear the guy go yeah this is what you're going to tell them you're going to tell them you saw five men come into the blue car right and you hear the guy go yeah 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 and you're going to say they wore ski masks 
and they had gloves, but you were able to tell they were Caucasian, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw in there. I saw, I saw around the eyes by the ski mask that they were white. Yeah. She's like, and you're going to say that you saw them attack these two teens and you heard one of them say that this is going to teach little a lesson, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, they're beating them up and they were, they were, they're telling them that this is going to teach little a lesson. Yes. Yes, you are. You see her like, kind of like patting the side of his head and she's like, and also, you'll say you heard one of the men call another one Chris, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I heard I heard him say, yeah, call someone Chris. Yeah, and he didn't like it that the name was used, did he? No, 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 he, he didn't like it at all. And it, yeah, and that, that Chris guy got so upset that he ran to the side of the vehicle and he almost threw up, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And you saw him take off his mask, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And didn't he have like, brown hair to the middle of his neck right yeah yeah he had brown hair in the middle of his neck yeah yeah oh yeah he did didn't he and you're not going to remember this are you remember what remember you're not going to remember this at all are you no 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 and you see her like like get off him and she sits next to him and she's like stop the vehicle warren and you stop the vehicle and she, you see this guy's like slowly like tugging up his, his short jean shorts that he had on and zipping them up. And she's like, leave. And you see the guy just like kind of like numbly like open the door, close the door and like turns and walks. And you see him stop for a second. Like he doesn't realize where he's at. And then he just starts heading in the direction where that alley was, where you were at. You start driving again and you hear Jenna getting dressed. And then she tells you, pull over. Warren will pull over. Get out of the vehicle. And she gets out of the passenger side. Warren will get out of the truck. You see Jenna walks around to the front of the vehicle and she motions you to step in front of the vehicle with her. Warren will go over. It is time you start doing things for your own self-interest. Do you understand me, Warren? Do you understand me, Warren? He'll just keep sort of looking at her. You are not done paying your debt to me. But I'm gracious enough where I'm going to make that debt something that's going to help you out. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to help those people that you said you would help out. But you're going to convince them that Dunstern did kill Ophelia. Do you understand me? Yes. That is what you'll do. Do not let me down, Warren. Now get in the passenger side. And she goes and she gets into the driver's side and drives off. Next, we will cut to William and Katow. You're in William's Beamer right now. I'll just say go ahead, scenes on you guys, as you guys are driving to this address that Lenny gave you for the Putinesca brothers. So, how are we going to play this, Katow? I was about to ask you the same question. Well, these men obviously had dealings with Jonathan before, and maybe we could say that he's still in business. With them, or rather, if they're, if they want to, sort of change their business to us, to us for our benefit. Yeah, uh, so. I suppose you could say we're you were co-workers with them at, at some point. Yes. Also, well, I suppose it'd be good to get some information this way. Uh, but 
I'm not sure if we'd really get the information we want that way. It might get our foot in the door. I suppose it just really depends on how fast and slow we, or slow we want to take this. If we go in there, obviously, we can make them talk. But then the question is, how do we make sure they don't tell Dunstern or whatever the hell? No, and I could think of a way. All right. You guys are riding in William's Beamer right now. And boy, how times have changed since the first time that you guys rode together in this vehicle where you guys didn't really know each other at the time, and you guys are driving to see that coroner to get the medical records on one of those murder victims that happened. But now you guys are driving in this vehicle together as survivors in a way, and and in a way you're more bounded than you were before. And yeah, the fact that, yeah, you guys are survivors. three humanity points ago. <laughs> yeah, three humanity points ago. I know, right? In these last six months, a lot has happened between you two. And now... Yeah. It's almost like looking at William and Katow in this vehicle is looking at two completely different people. One, they're not as naive as they were before. And yeah. two, they have been more educated. Well, I guess it ties to one, they're more educated in the way that things go on around them, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, it's a big change because right now, William isn't thinking, how are we going to talk to these guys and get them to do this shit? It's just going to be them. Is it easier to just talk to them, try to dominate them, or should we just kill them? Steve, that's a that's a very interesting insight because there's many different ways that this can go. So, yeah, right now you're kind of wondering if you should dominate them or you should, you know what I mean, just kill them. What, what is Katao thinking right now as he's heading down here? So right now Katao is considering that, yeah, definitely he's considering using force on them, but he, he's not quite ready yet just you know, to go in there and kill them all because... Even though he has like killed in the past, like he, he he's still like like he doesn't he doesn't enjoy the sensation of when like I remember like he uh, got his revenge for bugs even but even that he still kept his humanity so he's like it wasn't quite as all satisfying as he hoped it would be and so he's found that even like when he does like you know kill someone he wants to it's like doesn't really bring as does not it's build a even a bit hollow feeling in him. Yeah, because it is. I mean, it's a fucking shitty existence, right? Where you have to all of a sudden start killing people to get results that you want, you know? Yeah. Where you are still struggling with that. But even in a fucked up way, I would say William with this Humanity 3 still a part of him, though. That that, that part that is humane, right? Because he's still humane, even though he's yeah. not as humane as he once was. Is you got to think how many people have died in the last six months compared to the 20 years before that. And now it's like... You're really legitimately thinking that killing two people that you've never met or you've met once, going to see them at their house is a legitimate option. And as a storyteller, I'm yeah. not saying that's not or whatever. I'm just saying, like, think about how insane that sounds. When yeah, you have... I know. Yeah. It's like it's... a huge change from sort of yeah several it's... seasons ago. So, yeah, exactly. And it's almost like this um, – I hate to use the term dread, but it's almost like this fucking dreadful feeling because it's like, well – you do that's your reaction to this but how many other things are you going to find out is that going to be your reaction yeah. to everything and it's just kind of like this i'm sure very gut-wrenching feeling but the good thing for whatever good can come from a situation like the existence of you two in the world of darkness or whatever is that you have a peer now where before you kind of had an errand boy sitting yeah. to your right in your passenger seat you know who's just trying to do something so you can go back to your life but you're looking at this guy next to you and you're seeing so you're seeing a peer now, someone who has the same end goals as you. And if anything else, no one can 
really relate to you two right now, what you guys have survived. So that's a very interesting insight. And I'm really happy the way that these two characters have grown and these, these sessions that we have had. So you're driving this Beamer through these streets and eventually you start getting to these homes that were built like in the fifties and sixties that are kind of like a couple miles away from the university of Minnesota. I described the neighborhood before when Lenny went there, but it's these houses that are maybe in the fifties and sixties were like, you know, middle-class white, you know, owners who had, who were raising families, but now that they're older, they usually rent it to like college age people or younger people who want to have their first home for rent where they're like, have a couple of roommates. You come upon this home this address and you see this like Subaru, like kind of like decked out, you know, corny, fast and furious type car, but it's like bonded and it's not like really well done. And then you see this in the parked up in the driveway, but you see behind it, this white Escalade that you, William, know belong to the Putinesca brothers. Cause you saw them come up to the Medusa when, and you're with Jonathan, when Jonathan was looking at their wares that they were offering scenes on you guys. Before we got out of the car, I'll just turn to William. They don't know we know, like, we know they know about us, but they don't know that we know. So do you want to go in there pretending to be human, or do you want to go as just as kindred? That is a very good question. I suppose we could imply it later on, but we could so let keep them guessing think, first. Let them think we're ignorant of what they know first. Mm. Yes, we'll see how. We'll see how the conversation goes, and hopefully this will be easy. All right, read on. So you both get out of the vehicle, kind of close the door. You kind of hear like some music coming from the house again to describe the house. It's kind of has like this slight picture window has like these concrete steps that come. The yard doesn't really look like it's been taken care of. There's like half of like a, like a, a stump of a tree that had probably been cut because it was diseased that had grown like in the. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, so on and so forth. And that had been cut off. And you see like this house, like the paint is kind of peeling off, but you see within this picture windows, there's curtains closed, but you can kind of like hear like some, there's not like the blaring music, but you can hear like some um, drum and bass type music that's playing within there as you guys are walking up to the door. Are you guys going to like knock on the door, ring the doorbell or something like that? Yeah, no, probably knock. So William opens up like the screen door in front. You hear it like like the, you know what I mean? Like it hasn't been oiled with WD-40 and you hear him go dot, 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 on the door. And there's a moment as you sit there for like a second and then you hear the music get turned down and you can kind of like hear footsteps come up and you hear like the door open. And it's that weird feeling that you get when you knock on people's door at night, you know, like I haven't done it in ages. I can't remember the last time I've done it at night, but where like someone opens up their door and you see like the warmness that comes from within the house, right? You see like the, like the bright lights that kind of penetrate the darkness and you see like behind there's like this couch with like a flower pattern and there's like this like greenish rug there and you see this figure standing in front of you and he has like, he has jeans and a wife beater on and he's barefoot and you see like he has like these cheap, like, like jailhouse type tattoos he has a shaved head and he kind of has like a longer bottom part of his goatee and you see him look at you and you know this isn't one of the putinesca brothers william but but it's it's someone that you might think when lenny told you that they have a couple people there that are sitting that work for them that are at the house katow and william you think that this might be one of the people and he looks at you too and he kind of see for a second he's like looking at you too like he doesn't recognize you and he's like what's up what do you need it's chris and bobby here yeah, they're busy right now. Why? What do you need? We have business for them. Huh. What kind of business, man? I don't know who the fuck you are. I'm not going to talk about this here outside. You, you see him kind of for a second look. 
He's like, hold on one second. And you see like the door close, you know? And then about three minutes later, you see a figure come, or you see the door open, you see a figure standing there. He kind of, you recognize this one to be Christopher, the, the older one, the taller one who has like, you know what I mean? The, 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 the kind of the neater, shorter hair kind of has the darker hair. I've described him before, but you see he's wearing like a tank top shirt and he has like these basketball shorts on. Like he wasn't like dressed to go out and you see like he's standing there and he's like, and you see for a second, he looks at you, William, for a second, like his eyes narrow for a little bit. And he's like, what do you want? Chris, I believe. Yes. We're You've met the acquaintance of our colleague, Mr. Chase. Yes. See a second while you say that you give me a perception and empathy. Both you guys difficulty six, please. I have zero successes. Four successes. Yes. You, you know, it's two things, Katal, because William, like I said, spearheading this, right? You're like, like William standing on the step by the door and you're kind of like standing the step down, like kind of looking up at this whole scenario situation that's happening. And you see that the guy initially, when he answers the door, like Chris does, and he looks at William, you see that instinctually, like he seems to flinch at first, like, like he feels threatened. You know what I mean? Like he feels like he doesn't feel like at ease. But then you moment where you realize you see like his instinct like to step back and close the door. But then you see a second his eyes narrow and you realize that he recognizes William. And especially when he brings Jonathan's name up. And when he brings that up, you see the guy that fear start kind of like starting to climb back into his his behavior and his mannerisms. And you can kind of tell the guy's just like slowly trying to close the door like he wants to close the door and lock it as he's staring at you too. Uh, go ahead. Uh, we'll come back to the scene. He's like, I know who that guy is. Do you see the door? start closing i got nothing to say to you man well you two have been doing business together and i was hoping that uh perhaps you might lend your services to us as well and he sort of starts walking into the room you you, you know you know the sort of put your foot in front of the door you know just because i'm getting like scared thinking about this you know and he's like he's like you see him for a second. He tries to close, and you see him like yeah. stop for a second. He's like, "We we could talk out here, man. We we're not doing business at the moment." I would prefer not to speak about this outside. It's gonna leave us out here in the. He looks like it's about to rain, man. And as you, yeah, as he's like, and you see him for a second. He's looking, and you see like he's really doesn't know what to do. And he looks at his friend, who's sitting on the couch now. You don't see anyone else. You just see that guy who answered the door. And you see him look at you and he's like just steps back from the door because I think he realizes at that moment when he tries to close the door on William's foot that like his fear is starting to make push him away from William. You know what I mean? Like there's a moment where he wants to like stand to William and stop William. But then that fear takes over and he kind of just steps back and you notice William when you put your foot in the door and he steps back the door just like kind of comes open and you see him stop for a second and he doesn't want to sit down. You see him look again at his friend like trying to communicate but you see the guys like trying to light a cigarette who who answered the door and you see him take like five steps back like and he doesn't even say come in but he knows you guys are going to come in yeah i sort of beckon katow let's go all right as i do that i'm gonna do like a spend a political point to heal the wound that kaitao his broken hand Okay, yeah, you do that as you're walking in. You can kind of feel like the tendons and you can feel like your joints are aligning again. Even though that 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 brace is still on there, you realize that's 
no longer needed at the moment. You step in, doors. Do you guys close the door behind you, or do you leave it open? Or yeah, oh yeah, the door behind us. Close it. And as you close the door, you see, like I said, you see that couch that was straight ahead of you, and you see on the right that there's a TV that's in the corner, and then you see on the left there's like two bedroom doors, and then you see like kind of like not you know where the couch is to the little left of the couch is like a little kitchen area. This isn't a big house, you know. What I mean, this is a rather small house, and you see when the doors is open, and you see who you assume is Bobby. Well, you know it's Bobby William, and you see him putting on like a t-shirt, and you see this there's this girl you know, a woman laying in bed, you know, under the, like, like she's like, has the sheets pulled up to cover her nudeness as she's like staring at you and you see him like close the door behind him. And he's like, what's this shit, man? And then he takes a moment and you see him stop for a second when he looks at William and you got to understand too, from the perspective of these two men and maybe the third, when he's done trying to light the cigarette, that when William steps into a brightly lit area where there's lights like a livelihood, like a protection, like that primal protection where like this flame is going to keep away these creatures who try to eat us at night, you know, that think that's ingrained in our DNA from when we were Neanderthals. That predator is now within that comfort. The, the super pale skin is noticed. The sharp blue eyes are noticed. The weird smirk, predatory smirk that's on his face is noticed. The way that his body moves when he looks at people, almost like it's serpentine, like, almost like he's like trying to, trying to herd the weak gazelle away from the pack is gone and now there's like there's two guys who know what you guys are who are staring at you in this fear and now the third who just lit a cigarette you just hear go what the fuck and you see like he's sitting there on the couch just like with his lit cigarette and he's looking at william as william's like standing like in the middle and you're looking at this katow and in almost a way shit has changed you know william was the bumbling guy who couldn't figure out how to get those autopsy reports and now williams walking in here the apex predator you know long gone are the days where williams like wear this jacket in my car i don't want you to dirty my car up to where now william is causing instinctual fear and something that you both used to be hello folks have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by! We hope to see you there. High Level Games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly 
isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. The Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. Central District is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire districts, once far from downtown, now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. Why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city? Neon Masquerade. The Demon's Mirror. Thirteen Candles. Three Chronicles running through the undead veins of the City of Angels. The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply. Go to eorpodcast.com and search the Duets tag to find out more. <laughs>